0: Well no, uh, but, uh, people, no, it's not you that's it's not it's not just you. A lot of people say that, but it's not true. Everyone puts out albums. Welcome.
1: We are Neil,
2: Luke and Dave.
1: 340 somethings reminiscent on the runners and
0: riders of 90s guitar
2: music.
0: We look at the bands who soundtracked our youth on both sides of the pond and interview some of our heroes from the bands that defined a generation. You'll hear about the
2: good, the bad and the ugly of 90s guitar music.
1: This podcast is stupid and contagious. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Stupid and Contagious podcast. We made it to 10.
2: Double digits.
1: This week we're talking to Nigel Clark from Dodgy. Really nice interview with Nigel. Before we get into this one, it just we add some really nice feedback on the grunge episode from last week. Um, yeah, it's gone down really well, which is good. I, I enjoyed that one. I thought it was a good one.
2: Is that the feedback f- from you? <laughs> yeah, that's
0: my <laughs> feedback. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> it's
1: lovely feedback. No
2: problem.
0: <laughs> I enjoyed the the Facebook post. I've never heard um, that uh, Dick's version of um, Hate no. the Police before. That was really great to hear. Um, yeah. yeah, some really cool um, stuff to catch up on. Really good.
1: I mean, it's good to get that opportunity to put that Creed song out out there to the world as well. It's unbelievable, so bad, man.
0: It? It's so bad. It's so bad. I didn't think they looked like that as well. I've never seen anything what they look like. I didn't. I don't have it in Just my to mind. Top that they that like
1: mountain.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> They really think they're good, don't they? They really think they're good. Dave, did you watch it?
2: Um, I didn't realize we had a Facebook group. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, now's a good time then to probably talk about that. We've got a Facebook just Drop group in, man. You, drop in Send any me time. a link. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the show notes. Always has been. Piece of shit.
2: I'm just not a fan of Facebook, but obviously I've seen the group. It's made Facebook a bit better for me anyway.
1: Good. Good. Thanks. We always do this at the end, but probably should do it at the start as well. If you're listening to this, then please do leave us a review. Do do the rating thing and all that sort of thing. And if you're watching on YouTube, like subscribe. Definitely do the subscribe thing.
0: Uh, same um, if you're uh, if you're downloading it as a podcast from iTunes or or whatever. Um, yeah, just make sure you follow what, whatever the terminology is these days, so it just automatically drops drops in.
1: Tell all your friends. To get them get them on board. Just spread the word. Uh, it's it's growing. It's growing. So it's all good. Dave, what's that picture behind you? <laughs>
2: A drawing of Swedish fish. Have you got a favourite Swedish fish? Probably the pike.
0: How do, how do you eat your pike?
2: <laughs> I don't know they're meat eaters so they probably might be like eating dog the fish equivalent of a dog.
0: Oh I thought you
1: meant Swedish people. <laughs> <meat
2: eaters. laughs>
1: I did for a second. I was gonna say I thought you sort of it's a bit of a rash comment. So let's get into the dodgy episode. Luke hit us with your fountain of knowledge.
0: Okay. Um I mean first of all I have to categorize them. Well, we have to, let's categorize them together. Um I don't know. In, indie rock?
1: I don't know this is a difficult one, right? I did a I did my usual Luke goes to Discogs. So I I just tend to go to Wikipedia even though it's is, it is a bit shit. But. All Music Biographer Stephen Thomas Earl Wine described the band as clowns of Britpop that played infectious, goofy, punk pop, which ultimately sounded like the early Who and the Stone
0: Roses. That is a terrible
2: description. I don't agree with any of that. (laughs) They're not
0: clowns. (laughs) They're not goofy in any way. What does that mean? So
1: anything that he said, they're not.
0: The opposite of that. Well, I come up with the term Brit Power Pop, a combination of Brit Pop and Power Pop.
1: They did have quite a unique sound, though, didn't they, really? You could always tell a, a dodgy song.
0: You could And a lot of Britpop bands Kind of got accused Of kind of being Like 60s throwbacks But they, but they weren't really I think that mm. um, At least on their The first couple of albums I think uh, Dodgy Definitely were Kind of tapping into That classic songwriting Of the 60s Not being throwbacks yeah. About it But they were tapping Into that a lot more Than other so-called Britpop bands You know
1: Yeah and they definitely When you listen to Dodgy You know you're listening To a British band Right
0: Why? Why do you say that? I think Oh fuck off <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought don't, I was making a profound think, point. Well, justify it. I can't. In what
1: way? <laughs> I can't. I guess the music's just quintessentially British, right? In in what way? Again, that doesn't mean anything. To... <laughs> Fucking hell, you're, trying, you're really sort of digging me on
0: this one.
2: I I think if if you listened to them and you didn't know who they were and someone said, what country are they from, you would say Britain. So I'd agree with that.
0: What What about them do you think would make people say that
1: yeah dave what about and make some british i'm trying oh, to help dave.
2: you now i was giving you, <laughs> 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 Back you help us, luke help us out here
0: no no you dug your own graves i'm not i'm not coming to your rescue basically for most of their existence they're a three-piece power trio as it's called in the business so nigel clark today's guest, on vocals and bass matthew priest on drums and Andy miller on guitar they uh, formed in London in 1998, but um, a couple of them originally from um, the Midlands, as he, he mentioned uh, in the that's interview. That's right, yeah. I saw one um, review describe them as the Hounslow Hippies.
1: That's right, Hounslow, that's, that's where they hung out, wasn't it? The Hounslow Hippies, that's really lazy, isn't it?
0: The Hounslow hippies. And I guess on the first album they were kind of hippies, right?
1: I guess because they they spoke about smoking weed, that instantly makes them
0: a hippie. I guess. Yes, yeah, that's, yeah, that's enough. That's about it's it.
1: And oh, they flowery shirts and all that. They had flowery shirts. It's better than our description, anyway. That we couldn't
0: justify. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna back you up a little bit in a minute when we talk about the album. So they released three albums basically in their first incarnation, the Dodgy album in 93 uh, um have you listened to it i had a quick listen i, I like it to me that's kind of the, the hippie vibe it's got a kind of a, a beatles revolvery vibe going on about it i yeah, think kind yeah. of a laid back well, kind of really nice sound i'd go with that it's a good album actually
1: and people should go and check it out if they haven't if they've only listened to the the big two or three I'd go and listen to that one, because it is good.
0: Yeah, although I think, I don't know if it's this one or the next one, I think the, the band kind of felt like, um, I know I think uh, Ian Brody from the Lightning Seeds did a production on the first couple of albums. I think they weren't oh, happy with his, with his production, but that's kind of okay. what I inferred from it. Yeah. Mm. Um, so that was 93. Um, second album was uh, Homegrown in '94. Big hits from there: yeah. "Staying Out for the Summer," uh, "Melody Taunt You," "So Let Me Go Far." Um, all on that album. I might have made this up, but I remember him being on
1: top of the pops, and I don't know if it's that song, but he was wearing like these green trousers, and I really wanted to. <laughs> they were like green, sort of rubber trousers. <laughs> what do you mean, rubber trousers? <laughs>
3: <laughs> been lead- like this some kind work. of s
1: <laughs> fetish shit. It must have been like leather or something.
0: <laughs> so not rubber. I
1: really wanted a pair.
0: Well, it's never too late. You can get yourself a pair tomorrow, man. You can do what you like.
1: All right, tomorrow I'm going to go and buy a pair of green rubber <laughs> trousers. <laughs>
0: I really like Melodies Haunt You. Of that, to me, it sounds well, it sounds like a Kink song to me. I think they got compared to the Small Faces as well with that album, which I kind of hear as well. I think it's good again, which is, you know, your your quintessentially British group. So I'm kind of backing up what you said earlier.
1: Yeah, I guess I guess that's where I was kind of. Well, I'm lying. I
0: didn't think any of that. That's <laughs> just... bullshit, mate. That's <laughs> bullshit. And then their their third album, Free. Peace, sweet that's
1: that's the big one right
0: that's the big one uh, got to number seven i think in 96 and well listen to the interview for the incredible uh breakdown of it by uh by nigel
1: yeah yeah if, if you want to know what that album is about <coughs> listen to the interview and you'll find out
0: it's going to blow your mind and it sounds like he'd only just come up with that kind of any kind of come to that realization so it could be a, a podcast exclusive here um, big hits from there, uh, In A Room, If You're Thinking Of Me, Good Enough and Homegrown, which actually wasn't on the album called Homegrown. It was at the end of a uh, piece week. Um, good Enough is their biggest hit, got to number four on the charts, which is amazing. A lot, of,
1: a lot of hits on that album, isn't
0: it? Yeah, as I said in the interview, like they were everywhere, right, when that came out. Mm. They literally were everywhere, all over the radio, um, yeah. seemed to be at every festival, just It's just ubiquitous, you know?
1: I know they were sort of lumped in with Britpop, but I never really saw them as Britpop. It's something a little bit different. I don't know.
0: Are there other bands of the era that you do put them in a box with that they kind of associated with in your mind?
1: I can't think of any. No, not really. Can you?
0: Yeah, I think like like Supernaturals, but that kind of, kind of bouncy kind of happy-go-lucky but you know really kind of well-crafted songs kind of thing going on I don't know why I put them together with him
2: I think they're a bit like I wouldn't put them in a box with the levelers but having talked to them and talked to these guys I think there are similarities with the levelers and their history and
1: social issues and all that sort of thing it's definitely a big part of
0: what they were I think I think also in the beginning they, they looked a bit crusty Hounslow
1: hippies weren't they (laughs)
0: like <laughs> <hippies>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Nigel left the band in 1998. I tried to find out why, and I, I managed to track down a couple of interviews, and they basically said that they don't talk about it. But they, so the rest of the, the band carried on without him. And got a couple of other new members in, and they they released one album without Nigel. Um, That's in 2001. Then the the original three um, reformed in 2008. And they've Mm. basically been kind of going since then. They've had two kind of post-reunion albums, um, Stand Upright in a Cool Place in 2012, which is kind of a downbeat, contemplative, kind of stripped-back acoustic album, which
2: I hadn't heard until Mm. this week. Did you listen to the album without Nigel? No. No, I
0: didn't. Fuck that one. Fuck (laughs) that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got to stick up for Nigel. This all about
1: Nigel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fuck Fuck off. With that <laughs> shit.
0: <laughs> and another album in 2016, What Are We Fighting For?, which is a bit rockier, a bit more upbeat than the previous one. And yeah, basically, they're, they're touring, playing festivals. Uh, Nigel does a, does a few solo bits and pieces. He's
1: still quite active in the whole music thing, it sounds like. He's still doing a lot of stuff. I remember we, we went to see Dodgy Live, right? I think it's only that once, wasn't it? At the Essential Festival. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. It talk about it more in the interview, but the uh, the memorable thing about that gig was it, there's a power cut, right? And it was just him and a guitar.
0: Came right to the front of the stage. Yeah, oh, it's great. It's great with his acoustic.
1: It's the sort of thing the Hounslow hippies would do. But... <laughs> I
0: don't even think they're from Hounslow.
2: <laughs> they lived there, didn't they? That's what he was saying in the interview.
1: A bit like um, when we spoke to Sid Rainey. And he said about that gig where they got everyone up on stage. These things that happen, rather than just walking off stage, you just kind of go with it, don't you? And um, yeah, makes these memorable moments.
0: Um, yeah, and I said, I think I even mentioned it in the very first episode. My, my one and only time to, to crowd surf. Uh, Was it to yeah. Dodgy? It
1: seems like a weird, yeah. weird band to crowd surf to. No offence to Dodgy, but
0: it, the crowd held you up, did they? They did, they did. I just felt it, man. Just needed to go.
1: When I went at Teenage Fan Club, only because Stephen Griffin went and I was on my own, I didn't really want to do it. Hated it. Yeah, I liked I liked the music as well when they come out. That's kind of how you think of them, isn't it? Like a summer band.
0: But there are certain songs like that. I mean that's got summer in the title, so it's an obvious one. But also, you know, for example, like like Alright by Supergrass. I always think of "All Right" by Supergrass as a summer song. It's maybe because of the video, right?
1: When I think of Dodgy, maybe it's a bit lazy, but I do just think, you know, Hounslow hippies. <laughs> <laughs>
0: do you imagine like them smoke, in like, uh, like a VW weed camper van? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But it's yeah. on the album. It's on one of their album covers. Oh, is that why I've got it in my mind? Yeah, I think oh, so. Yeah, okay. On Homegrown, I think it's on Homegrown. Right,
0: that'd be it's it. it. It's a camper van,
1: but yeah, that's how I do think of them.
0: But then if I think of a camp, I think of like Top Loader or something when I think of like uh, curly hair and uh, and a camper van. I'm not trying to put Dodgy in the same camp as Top Loader. But that's you no. just did. I did not. Nigel, Nigel, I did not.
1: That's a really nasty thing to do to any band. You know what I mean though, don't you? Don't double down on it.
2: <laughs> I apologise. Take it back.
1: Onka's Big Mocker. Love said. Luke, you've got Anka's Big Mocker,
0: haven't you? No, I haven't. I wouldn't put it past Dave. I would not fucking put it past one of him. You've <laughs> got Anka's you Big really Mocker. really rude. No, it, come on. Spill the beans. Have you got that? it? Just Have you got it? Yes or no? You haven't answered yes or no?
2: I'm not going to answer it. There, we, got go. Big there we go. I'm not going to definitely with that with an answer.
1: Last British band to play the old Wembley, unfortunately. Is
0: that
2: Did
1: right? Did you
0: know that? Yeah, they supported no. Bon Jovi. Weren't they from Eastbourne? Eastbourne's finest. A Keen from Eastbourne? Battle. 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 That's right. That's right. I like Keen. Fuck off. I do, I like Keen. I think I always get them mixed up with Star Sailor.
1: Oh, don't do that. You're doing it again.
0: <sighs> yeah. <laughs> no. I don't know who's worse, Keen or Star Sailor. I get them I get the no, two Star mixed up. Star Sailor
1: man. are definitely worse.
0: Keen are really good, I think. Yeah, I think Keen are good.
1: Star Sailor didn't do anything.
0: Oh come on! They had that one good line about your daddy's eyes, and daddy was an alcoholic. That's a good line.
1: We're really sort of, um, we're really sort of <laughs> limiting the people we can get on this podcast every week. It gets less and less.
0: Okay, the Mogwai frontman's comment. I think he'd fucking rape his granny for any kind of music award. <laughs> but Star Sailor frontman hit back at a Mogwai saying, "Is Stuart Braithwaite dead yet?" He then asked the 16-stone brother of Star Stadia's keyboard player to go and sit on Braithwaite's head. <laughs> so there you have it.
1: This this argument's got out of control.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, he's not wrong, though. Fucking hell. That's so shit. To the interview, I guess. Dave, do you want to introduce it? Well, How I
2: was cool. just going to say, what a contrast between last week and this week. Before we started the podcast, I was thinking 90s guitar music. It was all sort of lumped together in my head. but. It's so different, right? Dodgy to Alice in Chains, grunge.
0: I think you're right, Dave. It is, which is, which is the beauty of the podcast, right? It's uh, such a wide variety of stuff that was going on in the 90s, you know?
2: Yeah, like we were saying last time, you know, maybe there was that, that grunge era was a brief coming together. And then we just went off, did our own thing with some of these, with Britpop. They weren't interested in this, but we it was our thing, wasn't it, Britpop?
0: Well, Dodge is a good example of that because they sold uh, a lot of records in the UK, but the American record label wouldn't even release it in America. I, I found one kind of news story that said, you know, it was mm. set to be released in America and in the end they just just decided not to. They thought there wouldn't be a market for it, even though they were, you know, getting number four hits and top ten albums in the UK. They just didn't even bother releasing it in America. That's I don't know what that says about the mindset at the time, but it's interesting.
2: I think Britpop was a real low point for British music in America. The 60s British bands were massive in America. 80s mm. bands were massive artists since, but Britpop was a... We just completely went off on our own for a few but years. But even
0: like we've talked about in the past, like even like the pre-Britpop things, like, like, like we talked like Jesus Jones and EMF having number one hits in America, right? Um, yeah, I think you're right, Dave. Yeah. I guess the UK didn't have another... American hit to like the Spice Girls, right?
1: So let's get into the interview with Nigel Clark. Just before before we play the interview, just where we did have a few audio issues. Modern technology and all that happens sometimes, but it shouldn't ruin your listening pleasure too much. Um, but yeah, just to, just in case you wonder why it might sound a bit odd at times, just so you know, here it is, Nigel Clark from Dotty enjoy
3: how are things going yeah we've been in. Wells in london um i think it was last week it seems so quick and we were rehearsing for three days and yeah i mean we, going through the album and sort of doing songs that we haven't done for a long time was a lot of fun actually i'm you know i'm still a little bit nervous because you know you always are when you're sort of like doing things you haven't like some of the songs on the album we haven't done for 25 years so You know, I was talking about it earlier, you know, when you think, oh, God, am I going to remember these lyrics and stuff like that? But, yeah, Memory Muscle is a surprising thing. Have you forgotten any? I'm just going to be on that. Did you forget any? Uh, Oh, yeah, I had an iPad in front of me. But it's, yeah, just for some of the songs. But, yeah, it's, you know, we're all getting older now. So I need glasses to read the iPads and stuff like that. So I think, I think, I don't know, I think since COVID... I've really noticed a change in the world and my world, everyone's world. I just, I think since lockdown, it's sort of, yeah, it's been a, it's been a rough ride for people, hasn't it really? And I think what kind of change, the world, do you mean? we used to rely on isn't there anymore. And it's like, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's been difficult, but we're all really happy and together as a band. And that feels really good. Cause I mean, we, you know, Obviously, in a band, when you've lived with each other's music or together for so so many years, you know it, things can get tested and pulled each way. But you know, we we seem to be all, all on the same page, and it's lovely. Actually, we've got a re- that's really nice. That's one of the great things that happens. Is like we haven't seen each other for eight months since last September, and then meeting up last week, it was just like we, you know we'd seen each other the day before so that was really lovely so you know just catch up straight in interlocking and the band sounds great so that's really encouraging so yeah all good i'm really excited about the tour
2: there's there's four in the band now isn't there there wasn't
3: Uh, there's there's we we have a bass player now (laughs) Stu Stu Thorne he joined the band in 2012 so he's been in the band 10 years which is crazy and then we have a keyboardist as well who who He's going to be playing on this tour and as many festivals as he can do this summer and stuff. And he's coming out to Australia with us. So that's really exciting. So, yeah. So, I mean, we just to embellish things really, I, we with Grassman, it always sounds better with piano or, you know, yeah. it's like, yeah, it's, it's a necessary thing we have, you know, yeah. the five piece, traveling five piece.
2: Yeah. Was the tour delayed? Because it was 25 year anniversary tour, wasn't it? So it must've been delayed.
3: Yeah, it was. So, yeah. Uh, we had all those original plans, and now it's twenty-seven years. Yeah, I, was
0: gonna, I couldn't work it out. Like, yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> I know. So, I mean, I, I have to. This is. I have to apologise. I mean, it was. Well, I'm not apologising for COVID. Yeah, it would have been twenty-five two years ago. But yeah, so all the little remixy bits in between the songs, so we've got all those now, and which is really cool. So it's going to be a bit of a. It, and looking back on the album, it's a, Everyone thinks, oh, you must know that album, and you do. You must know that album back to front, and you do. But that you work so hard on it for five months that when you go back to it, you, you know, you, you don't really go back to it. And it was about about three or four weeks ago. I was driving back from Lancashire, coming back into Wales, and I was listening to Free Peace Suite. And, I mean, I, I finally got it, <laughs> which is terrible to say. 25 years later, 27 years later, I understood the album. I had always seen it as individual songs and well, and I'd listened to it, and obviously we'd done the tour in the '90s, and you know it's been in our catalogue for years. But I hadn't actually witnessed or heard it as a entire piece of music, and had the objectivity to be able to stand away from it and and listen to it as a piece and a group performance. I, and yeah, I get it now. <laughs> so, you know, thank God for that. Just before the tour, I understand it. Okay. But it, it has opened my eyes to it. It's a bit more of a, I think it's loosely a concept album, Creepy Sweet. I'm going to throw that one in there. Okay. <laughs> Tell us more. Tell you know, us more. There's, well, there's, there's sort of like this, 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 the stories interweaved within it. Obviously, I mean, with with a song called like Long Life, there's, there's, there's a, I was massively, and still am massively, one of my favourite journalists when I was younger, especially, was George Orwell. So I consumed all of Orwell's books in the 90s, from, you know, down and out in Paris and London yeah. and all these things. Yeah. And uh, there's the, the dystopia that he talks about in 1984 um, was a big part of it, I think, you know, and then also Long Life, which is sort of, uh, an adaptation of uh, the old major's speech to the animals when they first overthrow the joneses the night before they overthrow the joneses farm and mm-hmm. get rid of all the humans mm-hmm. which is the cathart- it's right at the start of the book and he goes look we we this has been a long life i had a dream and the animals will do this and will take over which is obviously a it's a, a the bible for socialism uh, and uh, being, I, you know, I, I believe in socialism. I know socialism is the only way forward for humanity in the world. Obviously, we're fighting against that now. We're against capitalism, but we all know that it's going to change. But hmm. obviously, we, you know, we're, we're polarized now, aren't we? You know, we're, we're we're divided as a society. I know that sounds quite deep, but but Free Peace Suite has all that in. Ain't no longer asking for change. You know, I'm going to stand hmm. up and believe. Good enough? Is it good enough? But you know, it's like it's it's. If you're thinking of me, what have we lost? You know, and in 1984, one of the sub-stories in 1984 is they, they are looking, he's looking for the second verse of Oranges and Lemons. don't know if you know that. And all the yeah. churches, it's based around the churches in London, which is not mm. which is called Airstrip One. I sound like a write nerd. But um, yeah, and so they, they go, the Orange and Lemons, but they can't remember the second line. And so gradually through the whole book, He meets people who say, oh, it was this church over here. Mm -hmm. And so they assemble the Song of Memories because if we're not careful, our culture will be taken away from us. And then obviously you've got the trilogy, which is Pray for Drinking, Jack the Lad and Long Life, which is about, um, you know, our our sort of how how we use alcohol as a society and a family and like you know you you know people with alcohol problems and stuff like that fortunately i don't have problems with alcohol i haven't got it in but it is a genetic makeup that comes thread proof thread proof families and stuff like that and you see your parents drinking and that was pray for drinking then jack the lad what trouble it ends up you in getting in you know and you sort of uh and i've seen this with friends in the when i was younger and yeah so there was that Oh, sorry and, and then and then there was a, then there's UKRIP that, that then goes on to talk about, you know, the the, the division that, and the identity of different ca- countries. I live in Wales now and seriously, it's like living in a diff- it is living in a different country. I grew up in England, I am English to a degree, but I've come to Wales and it's like, God, it's like different people, different way of life, a lot easier, I'm not so wound up. Uh, again, so UKIP talks about the division yeah. and the fact that you know, you know, the flag and the Britpop thing. We were anti that whole nationalistic thing, you know. Right, right. Which so and then and then homegrown right at the end, which is basically. And I still believe this. I think we 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 should be legalising cannabis, or at least people to grow their own cannabis and as as a social thing to take money out of drug dealers' hands because why we have it illegal it's just going to continue and you're going to get street crime all the time you know and it's a, for, a, for a plant that I you know I want green fingers you know I would love to be I'm into plants I've got a beautiful garden out there that I would love to be able to grow I don't want to sell it I just want to you know that's my thing so there you go there's free pea sweet and a sort of you know and it was done amazing of, man <laughs>
0: That's an amazing, uh, brilliant run. Yeah, pricey, brilliant, brilliant.
2: It's interesting, like about um, anti, you know, Union Jack and so on. But there is an element of patriotism if if you're writing a song UKRIP because you know you you, there's something gone. You know, you do love the country, and it's sad to see something gone.
3: Yes, absolutely. Matthew said it's like the country's on bricks which is an old saying, you know, when when you, you had your car's wheels taken and your car's on mm. bricks, it ain't going anywhere. And mm. this country isn't going anywhere. And it's like, we've been hijacked. We've been hijacked by, you know, we've been hijacked by. We've been yeah. hijacked by a lot. And I actually, and I think a lot of people feel really angry about this. And we're looking at like you know, these people that did this to this country, that is a treasonable offence. I really believe that. And I, and here we are sitting here watching, you know, 1500 people a year now are dying because of homelessness. That's unacceptable. That's unacceptable in, in a, in a, you know, one of the six richest countries in the world. And we've got that problem and it's just, yeah, it's ongoing and it's an ongoing battle. So Dodgy, will just do our bit, you know, we're musicians, but, you know, to encourage and enable critical thinking and empathy and sympathy towards people and like rather than just like everything is in small boats do you know i mean saying small boats from the leader of the country and you know grooming gangs and it's just so divisive this they're the wrong people in control and that's george Orwell said that the wrong family members are in control
0: we thought you said yeah you said we are divided we're not divided we have been divided right
3: that's that's the thing yeah, well, exactly we are we have so much more in common we're not divided human, we've been divided yeah. yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah well yeah like yeah, uk RIP, it could have been written last week right it could have been written and it, i saw you've you got the new t-shirts with the lyrics on and stuff i mean was that deliberately chosen because of the the current shit show
3: well, yeah we wanted to you know and we, st- we we put those t-shirts up and there was a few people that come up wow how anti what anti anti british you are and how you know what i mean it's like will you show me something to be proud of right now you know you show me something to be proud of in this country right now cuz we i do what apart from the people there's nothing going on there's nothing going on in this country and it will get worse and it's going to get worse until we stand up and realize that you know we have to stand up as people. We have to stand up. There's another album here, just in this conversation. I, I know, I know.
0: Get, get to the get to the writing pad as soon as, as uh, soon as the <laughs> You mentioned about like you're kind of anti the kind of the um the flag waving of Britpop. Um, did I mean how did you feel about kind of being lumped in with the Britpop bands because you weren't quite a Britpop band, right?
3: We weren't really. I mean, it was a sort of. Um, you know, there was there was a whole thing at the time. Like I, I, I don't know how much you remember of the '90s, but like you know, early '90s, it was like if you weren't on an indie label, mm. then you didn't really have the. You weren't allowed to speak as an independent artist. And but Kylie was on an indie label when she started. You know what I mean? It was like yeah, yeah, and yeah, it was yeah, just, yeah. But you know, the thing was, if you were on an indie label, you you you. The press loved you because it meant something. But. Mm we were on a major label but all the indie bands like oasis and cast well cast were on a major but oasis were in indie they supported mm. us so they used the, f- the fact that you've got a an indie you know a major record so they used it but that was the thing at the time and it was like you weren't because you were a mate on a major label you just took the money and stuff like that we just wanted to put our music out it didn't matter who wanted to put them out and yes we did get offered an indie label but you know, we were, we'd owed loads of money by then, by the, you know, in those days, doing music for three years without earning any money, you get in debt, so we had to sign a major deal to sign out, to pay our debts off, and then India, wouldn't have done that, but you, yeah, so you're sort of, you know, you're, you're, we were sort of Already going before Britpop, and then they were looking for this word, and there was load. There was obviously there was baggy in the nineties. The baggy was the yeah. first thing, and I remember this really clearly. And yeah. then someone came out and said, "No, well, we're going to call it tight." So Dodgy were in this tight movement. We were the only ones in it, no. unfortunately. And so it didn't <laughs> pass on. You weren't
0: particularly tight either. You had kind of flowery shirts and stuff. You weren't particularly tight. Yeah, I know.
3: I know. But it was like, I think it was more aimed towards the, the music, and someone came up with it, but obviously it didn't stick. And then, obviously, in 94, 95, I think we first heard Britpop, and we were just starting to go and tour Europe. And it just felt really awkward go into like Germany and like, you know, so Britpop, what do you think? And I'm like, well, I feel a bit awkward really, because, you know, we want to appeal to people or music is a universal language. And so why should we just, you know, simplify it by going Britpop? We were Britpop in the sense that we were inspired by a lot of the creative, you know, a lot of the cultures, culture from the sixties and seventies, the the British bands that were were brilliant, the Clash, you know, the Beatles and all these great bands that we got the Who and, A lot of the kinks
0: and stuff in there, yeah,
3: which which are all the classics now. All of those, I mean, we loved all those things. So we were just sort of like going, well, we wanted to. We were we were living in a rave culture in the early nineties, but and we were going to raves and doing all the fun, having the fun. But we were going back as a three piece and listening to, you know, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young and going, we need to be able to sing and, you know, and just getting inspired by our culture and, and the American culture. But to Britpop just seemed like a little bit of an end tag and no one really thought about it at the time, you know, really mm. didn't. I mean, it has grown massively and it did take a massive bump when they put it on BBC TV, the Blur and Oasis battle for number one. But, yeah. you know, it was, but also that sort of, you know, like Oasis are now like uh, national treasures, aren't they? They get mentioned in everything, you know. And what do they say, Oasis? <laughs> do what I mean, what do, they, what do they say? That's the reason why it's. That's the reason why it's because they're really safe. They're not mm. going to say anything, are they? Mm. They're just going to say, "Having ecstasy as a was like having a cup of tea in the morning." That was one. Yeah. My mom got phoned up about that quote because I agreed with it. I just said, "Yeah, probably right." <laughs> some places. And some papers said, Does your son agree with this? And I'm like, Well, I, you know, no, but, you know, I sort of think I imagine it happened somewhere.
0: Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um,
2: yeah they,
0: so, know, well, I mean, what about,
3: by... gone, Dave.
2: Sorry. Yeah, Dave, I was go just going to say on Oasis that I don't want to, you know, diss them or anything, but they were kind of safe. And, you know, I would have thought, you know, the most genuinely working class routes and yet ended up not really saying anything and especially especially noel you know he's so he's like a centrist dad now isn't he
3: yeah they don't say anything don't say you know but but i have this sort of you know they 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 appeal to the masses and you get you get music fans who are or you get many styles of music fans but some music fans will only listen to Oasis. They got into Oasis. They don't need to. They, I imagine they're like what status quo fans were like in the 70s. They wouldn't listen to any other bands. And you do get people like that who, who only listen to that because why would they want to listen to anyone else? I, had to, I worked at a school and I, a student said to me, oh, yeah, my dad listens to the first Stone Roses album every day in the van. And I'm like, does he have any other albums? And he went, nope. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like, you're not really a music fan you just you know it's like it would like be me listening to the, Never Mind the Bollocks by the Sex Pistols forever yeah. you have to move on but yeah. maybe you don't maybe yeah. I'm just saying I have to move on it's up to you if you want to move on or not that's music isn't it really I suppose yeah. that's what we like you know it's um it's uh and it goes so quick you know it's like the music industry is like you know even quicker nowadays it's it used to be about a two-year turnaround in the 90s you get two or three years and if you don't you know you, you, you split up but now it's like two months you're in the mm. charts I think and then you're gone you know it's mm. like yeah so it's a bit fickle isn't it the old music industry but you know the I'm a music fan I I'm a, I'm a passionate about music about listening to music making what are you music. listening to
0: me too me too I'm all about new stuff as well I mean what are you listening to
3: listening to uh sonic boom and uh panda bear oh yeah that's really Bell, good right yeah it's, it's a great connected. album yeah. yeah 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 and i mean it's not a new invention like you know taking samples and then writing new songs to them i mean hip-hop's been doing that for decades but uh what what pete did who is uh sonic boom he sent they both live in portugal and they they he sent him loads of intros from 60s tunes so like uh just like rare sixties, not even rare, you know some of them intros, and then, but um panda bear from animal I sound like I'm talking about with same panda bear he he heard these and then started writing new songs over these intros, and it's joyous, and I love his voice anyway. His voice is very similar to a beach boy like uh mm. Carl or Brian. Brian Wilson is very similar. He's got this beautiful melody and like tunefulness and it, yeah, it's just a joyous experience. And I'm really excited. They're on tour at the moment. So I'm going to see him in Bristol next Tuesday and I'm just like, oh, brilliant! but they use, they're using samplers and I use samplers a lot at home. I've got quite a few samplers and stuff and they use them live and I've dabbled with that in the past. So it's just a sort of, it's very inspiring. So I'm just going to go and see them for that. Cause you know, drum machine samplers, And a singer is, like, kind of what I'm interested in. So, you know, (laughs) it's just an extension from guitars, really, you know. I'm always looking for ways to write new music in new styles and stuff like
0: that. That's cool. That's cool. Um, Can we take you back to 1995 uh, in Brighton Essential Festival? Uh, Me and Dave and then the other guy, Neil, uh, were there. Uh, Amazing festival. Uh, Charlotte and popular itself, Teenage Fan Club. And that uh, the dodgy the dodgy set was the first and only time I've ever crowd surfed. It was a big moment <laughs> in my life. Um, I mean, do you remember <laughs> that, that festival? I know you played loads of those things.
3: I do remember that festival because if you remember right, it was a power cut. I,
0: I it's exactly that? what I wrote. I thought it was my mind playing tricks. It was a power cut, right? It was a power and you cut. Just sung without the mic with an acoustic and guitar, And I went right? to the
3: front, I think, with my acoustic guitar That's and just exactly started. right. Thing, I sang some, a bit like Bono or something like that, but with the guitar. Yeah, you know, Bono with Band-Aid, Live Aid. And then I did it with an acoustic guitar in Brighton. And I remember it just sort of, uh, and I've done it before. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, electricity won't stop us. <laughs> I remember <laughs> thinking that. and just just thinking, just grab your guitar and go to the front and... Those sort of things always make things more memorable for people, I think, yeah. and it, rather Amazing. than just going off stage and like going, mm, let's wait till they tell us to come on. That's not what rock and roll is about, really. It's about, you know, we shall overcome sort of vibe. So, yeah, you know, I do remember it. And it's and it sort of ingratiated with our fans even more, I think, by yeah. by doing that. And, you know, feeling that we have an answer. And I, I am a bit of a problem solver. I like sort of, if I've got a problem in the studio, I like i like solving problems. And that was like my obvious thing, get your guitar and go to the front. What, people weren't able to hear you very well, but they might. Yeah. But, you know, it just felt like the right thing to do.
0: It's a great moment. It's a great moment. Yeah, never forget
3: it. And I remember Teenage Fan Club as well, because I was a big fan of Teenage Fan Club at the yeah. time. So I remember seeing them as well, which was very exciting. To be on the same bill with them was brilliant. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh all right. I'm glad it wasn't my memory kind of uh, mm. misremembering. it's brilliant. Um uh staying out for the summer, great song. I, I was thinking about this, right? So like a, a summer anthem like that, it's like it's like having a Christmas song, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, do
0: you do you get like a bump in streams and stuff in every summer?
3: Yeah, I do feel I feel like the noddy holder of summer, you know? <laughs> Yeah uh... <laughs> <laughs> and I've always felt that actually yeah we do, I mean summer is like it's its kind of like it's not a summer and uh, I don't know how it happened I mean I know the roots of that song, the song was written around uh, it's a true song actually, I was working in a factory and I just you didn't want to be late uh, yeah, and I had debts <laughs> to pay for uh, and it's very true all of it's true and I was living with a girl called Jackie Wan I'm married to Jackie too, but Jackie yeah. one was another Jackie. I'm working my way through the alphabet. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I got stuck on J. Um, but I was living with Jackie one, and I had a I had a, my own house when I was twenty. So I was I had my own mortgage, and I had a life. I was working in a factory. I, I progressed into the offices. I was earning good money. I had a, I could see a career path for me into management, and I was twenty years old. And I, don't know, and these were all things that I probably have been told at school that I wouldn't do. I didn't like school particularly. I didn't like... school ..at the time in the 70s and 80s. And I just remember just having at 20 and have a mortgage and a job and a, and a car and all these things. And why don't I go and do something that I really want to do which was music. I was already in a band. So I just told everybody and jacked it all in, left my job and moved to London with Matthew. That was the idea. We were just going to like have a go at living. And, you know, that was that was the step. And I think, you know, there are far better musicians than me out there. Like, for, Of course there are, you know. And I always thought this at the time, but maybe there isn't many musicians who have got balls to do that to drop your job and sell your house but I was young enough to do it without having children because I knew children was the next thing on the you know the the the, the sort of horizon for me and I didn't want to do that at that time you know so yeah I went and had a I relived my youth in London uh, and yeah I don't look didn't look back really but it's a very true song it's like you know and it was the first one, and it was our first hit as well. So, sort of quite sort of brilliant, really. Yeah. And I found it in a book. I forgot all about it. I written it in my work over 1990 seven i'd written it in the book and i found i sing this and it re- wrote itself in three minutes and we we found it right at the end of homegrown so we'd done all the songs for homegrown or for pre-production and i just found it like the friday before we were going to liverpool to record it so yeah pretty mad maddie
2: what year was that when you went to london
3: we moved to london in october 88 <coughs> so oh, i'd right, have probably so written have... the song about that, that year
2: I always
0: had it in my mind that you were like signed to like a major label straight away, but you were plugging away for a while, right?
3: No, we we moved in a and we didn't get signed till, well, we started the Dodgy Club. That was the thing that, started, that sorted us out really was we went to London and we started doing these pay-to-play gigs in London and we didn't know anyone because we were from Birmingham or the Midlands. And we didn't know anyone. So you'd pay 30 tickets and we'd be like, you going to give tickets to you don't. We are living in Hounslow as well, so we didn't we didn't really <coughs> know anyone. And then I decided that everybody was on that. Every every band that moved to London or was in London would do this circuit, and you know it was just draining. And so we went and found a little club in Kingston in in Kingston upon Thames called Bacchus Wine Bar, and it was a restaurant. And we just found it, and I went went to the guy and said, "Can we run a club here on Tuesday night for the students?" And you know, and he went, "Yeah, it'd be great." So we did that, and that's how we got signed by doing something of our own. In the old school ways of like the Beatles and the Cavern and the Who and the Marquee, it was having a residency where people could come in. Before long, after about six months, it was sold out every night or every time we did it. Record companies started phoning up and we'd go, nah, you're not, there's no guest list with Dodgy. Because we'd charge <laughs> them a tenner to get in when the kids would get a quid. Brilliant. Because, you know, the thing is, if you just bend over backwards to these people, guess what they will fuck you yeah there (laughs) do your own thing they up to you they wanted it so that's how it works really kids (laughs) (laughs) funny enough yeah
0: can i ask a music
2: nerd question question? maybe oh he's
0: back can I can I yeah. ask a music nerd question? Um, basically, when I when I start when I prepare for these interviews, the first thing I do is go on Discogs because I'm a big uh, Discogs nerd, and everything's listed under Boston mm-hmm. Records. Was that your yeah. label? I couldn't I couldn't find anything about it on the internet, not even on Discogs.
3: Well, going back to what I said earlier about the indie music scene, and you know, and all the, the credentials. Of- of an indie band. When we first signed to a and we did, we agreed that they would fund our, did we do all three? Yeah, I think we did all three. We did three singles, Summer Fair, Easy Way and the Black and White single were all done with Paul Schroeder. And he was an ind- he, he worked with the Stone Roses. He was the engineer of the Stone Roses. So he produced the second album, actually. So we knew Paul quite well. And he'd worked with us. And we put them out on Boston Records, which enabled us to be able to be eligible for the indie charts. And so it did give us some indie cred. But then we had to release the dodgy album on A&M Records, which didn't do us any favors, really, at the time. But, you know. You look back, yeah. The indie—I did like being part of an indie, our own little label, but it was—it was a front. I—we did, didn't really think much about it, really.
0: Okay, okay, thanks. I just couldn't work out what it—what it was, and you know, as you can see, I'm a, a record nerd, so yeah, yeah. Um, I can see that you've got a lot of records there.
3: I, oh, you I do. I've got a lot
0: more. I've got a lot more upstairs as well, but yeah, yeah. Um, so when we talk about Top of the Pops, I was obsessed with Top of the Pops as a youngster. How was it playing that? Did you did you meet any top pop stars?
3: Well, the feel, feel, probably yeah. I remember we played it with. Uh, I think the first time we did Top of the Pops, we were on with Swing Out Sister. Was it Swing Out Sister? Was that the girl from the Banana Rama? Was that Swing Out yeah, Sister? Yeah, I think so. I can't remember. Yeah.
0: Not Shakespeare's, Shakespeare's sister. Shakespeare's
3: sister. Shakespeare's sister. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, Siobhan, yeah. We met, we met her. But the weirdest thing about doing Top of the Pops was, and you probably didn't get mentioned to this, was Grange Hill was filmed at Elstree, as well as Top of the Pops, as well as EastEnders. EastEnders, yeah. So uh, when you do Top of the Pops, I think you go on a Wednesday and do a run-through and they settle the things up. And on a Thursday, you... Or maybe it's all filmed on a Wednesday. I know you go twice or something like that. So they'd come and pick you up and you go to L Street. But at lunchtime, obviously it's a BBC, and so they're, they're run by unions, or they used to be. They're probably unions have been quashed now. But they, they used to be. So everyone used to have the same lunchtime at 1 o'clock, but you'd be in the queue to get your lunch with, like... um um um, what's the name from oh Ricky? You'd be next to the queue from Ricky <laughs> in these vendors and you'd be like wanting to go Ricky or something, you And then Arthur and Arthur and all these people yeah. and then like, you know, just just hilarious. It was just hilarious. It was like a, another world. It was like going into an episode of like The Simpsons where you're like, you know one of these people yeah so it felt very strange and yeah it was it was a good experience sorry about that <laughs> it was a good experience and uh yeah a lot of fun actually top of the Pops is brilliant and we did it with the Fuji's as well which was amazing oh, wow which was yeah. really amazing because they had that and I, I love lauren hill i love that photo. yeah i love the fugees and the, yeah so that was really exciting and you meet yeah you do you, you're always kept apart a little bit because you have like these get a slot you, and then you go to your green room and you stay in there you're not really supposed to go and talk to other people you can but it's not really done everyone's given their own space and then you get your time set to go on stage and they do all the camera angles and stuff like that a bit weird bit weird but you know it's t that's that's tv back in the 90s it was we always used to try i always used to sing live so we to use a backing tape but i would sing live i think i sang live on all of the top of the pops exp- uh, things no one else did it was just we used to do a, a vocal that backing track of the songs and now i'd go and sing live on tv which always felt better mm. if only the clash would have known that hey eh? right <laughs> <laughs> they would have done top of the pops then maybe mm.
0: Um, yeah, when you're so your your touring three piece suite coming out. I mean that like that when that came out in ninety six, that was everywhere, right? I mean, you were everywhere. All over the radio, no. every festival it seemed. I mean, did you did you savor it? Did you go along for the ride or did you like think, fuck, I'm just like is this is like too much. You nice?
3: don't get time. You don't get time to to even sort of it's like being on a fast train, it's like being on a bullet train. You know, it's like literally you just you know, you wake up on a Monday morning, you've just got back home and then someone says, oh, Yo, you've got to go to Spain today on a plane to go and do press. And then you're flying, to it in Spain. Then you're flying to Malmo or somewhere, Switzerland, Sweden, anywhere. And you, you just spend a week doing promo and then you go and do a gig at the weekend. So you are literally all over the place. And it's brilliant. I mean, it is brilliant. But yeah, you you, you sort of end up having a little bit of, I found that, like, I couldn't settle. A lot of musicians have this thing at 9 o'clock at night, if you do a lot of gigging at 9 o'clock at night when everyone's getting ready to bed, you come live because you're so used to going on stage at 9 o'clock that it's part of your life. You've got this pattern. And so I still do it now, not so much. But after this summer, I'll get it. And the thing that also applies for travelling, if you're always away from home, when you get home, you constantly feel like you're still moving, which is such a weird... It's like kind of like some sort of weird, but vertigo but it's not but you're you sit down at home and go uh, you, it feels really uncomfortable so there are definitely stresses on your psyche and mental health when you're always away and you mm. yeah I mean yeah I think during that time I did like because you're always around the same people as well on a tour bus and yeah I used to just, I remember going to like we went to Vienna once and uh we were doing a gig and I remember walking out the bus and just not wanting to see anybody and just walking to try and get lost you know what I mean? but you I couldn't even get lost you know it was like because your brain's so alert you 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 know you can't but there was a lot of moments like that when you just need to get away from it all and in fact it was yeah. it was tiring and you got you be you become aware that you are the product do you know yeah. What I mean yeah right 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 I mean, you did you have any like uh,
0: experiences or like situations that kind of seemed like normal at the time, but when you reflect on it now, you think like, fucking hell, that was just like surreal and, you know, whatever. Can you think mm. of anything like that?
3: Oh, God, yeah. I mean, hotels and stuff like that. I mean, you know, put a hotel, alcohol and <laughs> drugs together and you, you got, a, you know, a mess. <laughs> fortunately, <laughs> fortunately Matthew and I, we, we were, uh, before we, got got signed as dodgy we were Dem- Matthew and I had got jobs as demolition men in London a hotel so we we actually have we've smashed more hotel rooms and all the rock and roll bands <laughs> together it was hard job <laughs> And I mean, smashed. I mean, we smashed baths with, with, uh, with like, uh, what's it, sledgehammers and we smashed walls. So when we got into the band and we went to hotels, it wasn't normally us doing the smashing, you know, and stuff like that. But <laughs> yeah, you put all those things together and add in the fact that you're like in your mid to late 20s and you're not acting like a grown up and your man tour manager's asleep. Yeah. Crazy stuff can happen, you know, jumping out of hotel windows into pools, making breakfast in B and B Airbnbs. Been banned from all of the hotels in Newcastle and different towns, and yeah, the list is on. Getting arrested and getting, you know, in the morning. What did what,
0: you get arrested for?
3: opening oh, into a hotel to make breakfast. <laughs> I I didn't do it. I was asleep. So we all got we just got woke up at six o'clock by the police and arrested and kicked out. And we got stopped on the motorway once for uh, by the police because we'd thrown out some menus from a window, which is hardly rock and roll. But someone thought it was a good idea. We got in so much trouble. We swearing on national radio and. Because we hadn't slept and we'd done loads of drugs or something, we got invited, you know, those sort of things. But those days are way past us now. You know, we're (laughs) all very sensible now and family man. I'm a granddad now, so I can't be doing that anymore. No, no, no. (laughs) I'd say no, but we, yeah, (laughs) no, nothing like that, nothing like that.
2: (laughs) But in those days, did the, did the, did you get treated well by the record company or, because you. Or do they? Are you involved with them at all?
3: Just the, um, just we, think? we, yeah, we tended. to, We were treated really well. Actually, we didn't really get A&R'd by them in a way. We had um, first, yeah, they didn't really sort of like try and like all oh, you need to sound like this, or we need. They were. There was a lot of pressure in the nineties. I don't, and it probably is still there. When you're on a record label, and a lot of artists will talk about this, it's like there is a lot of pressure to have hits, like. Like you're there to have it hits, you know. It's like obviously every brand needs a hit, you know. Cornflakes is a is a hit. You so, see, you know, you, we're a brand, dodgy on A and M Records. We that's the thing. It's like you're. So I was sort of I felt, and you do get into that that mental. Is it a hit? You're writing a song, and you can't go and write a hit song. You have to. It has to come to you. You you have to be like I believe. I do music every day. And I believe that you know I've probably got millions of hits on my hard drive, but I don't. I you know I don't. One, the industry's failing me now because I don't know how to put it out, and I've got no marketing money, and you need marketing budgets. And something like 120,000 songs are released onto Spotify each week or something, you know. So there's a lot of competition out there. And back in the what's your, what's your view
0: on Spotify and that whole streaming model? What's your take on that.
3: Well, it's not favouring musicians so it's rubbish. It's just it's I mean, one level of it I think it's great because it allows access to music that you probably wouldn't have heard and there's no, you know, you know, I, I was I was lucky. I grew up as a record buyer. I went to Reddington Records in Birmingham. I had you know I worked in a record shop. My first ever job, and I loved records. It was like the whole thing of buying a vinyl and reading it and looking at the scratchy bits and Porky Prime cut and all those sort of things, yeah, yeah, and just yeah. the and the lingo from yeah. that was put onto record sleeves. You don't get any of that when you do Spotify, and I think a lot of. You know, I think that's affected my love of music. I mean, in a way, like I buy vinyl now. I buy vinyl purposely because, I you know, I bought the last one I bought was the new John Cale album, which came mm. out just before Ways Blurred, and that's a brilliant album. And I had to, I listened to it first on Spotify, but I mm. went and bought it on vinyl then because I wanted that to be able to sit down in my lounge, put the record on, and you, you consume music differently when you put a vinyl on.
0: Reaching to the converted, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah.
3: You do, you do, 100%. don't you? But it's also, it's also, it's a little bit like book reading. Like, I used to read a lot of books, still, do, but now I do Audible, because it's, you know, the, having the time to sit down and put your feet up on the sofa and then and read a book is... It's kind of like, it's not really the day and age for that sort of thing. And I suppose it's, it's a guilty pleasure now putting an album on. It's like, should I be doing something else? That's how the mental, mentality of the 2020s works. I should be doing something else, you know. I don't have much time to relax. I just do be creative now. I just sort of like make music a lot, you know. Just try and use all my energy into that because at least I feel like I'm doing something, you know. It might not have an end result at the moment. That's why I moved to Wales is to finish all my songs. Mm and i've got thousands i've got as many songs as those albums probably behind you I just need to finish them <laughs>
2: back to just on spotify you know is is spotify themselves malevolent or the bad thing or is it just the change that they've brought you know are they are they could they do better as a company
3: oh without a doubt they could without a doubt i mean uh, yeah i mean zero point i don't know i don't even know how the uh, you know the 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 thing works in the background but when you read things about it you don't earn much money for what what it would but yeah there's a bigger audience out there it's it's i don't know what the answer is because i mean obviously with covid people still aren't going back to gigs you know people you know i mean I, the third this is the next week is the first gig i'll go to proper gig for months for for, for months and it's like i've bought tickets to gigs i will always buy tickets for gigs but you know, I'll invariably not, I'll buy it, I'll buy a ticket three months before and then get to that point and go, I can't make it. I mean, but, and that's, I think there's a lot of that. So I mean, a lot of gigs are sold out. I was hearing this from a promoter from a small venue in England, a grassroots venue, who's just, we've just, a lot of people have helped save. And he was saying that they sell out the gig, but then only 60% of people turn up. So yeah, so it's kind of crazy, isn't it? So people are get not going, they, even though they buy the tickets. And that's I think really that's surprising. a mentality. <laughs> I did a gig last year. Sorry, there's a bit of drilling going on in the background. I did a gig last year at Shepherds Bush Empire. And just for an example, and I forgot to take my microphone. And I normally take my microphone everywhere now because of COVID. And I didn't take it. And guess what? I got bloody COVID. And it was just like... That was just going to London for one gig. One song on stage I played at a charity event for I can't remember what it was for, no, probably something to do with COVID. And and I caught COVID, you know. And it's like and so those sort of things can put people off. I mean, I'm it's my job. I have to go to gigs. Mm. I have to go to my own gigs. But, you know, do I meet as many people as I used to? Probably not. You know, do I go out and do that? Probably not. I mean, that's that's one of the that's what's happened, you know, to our mm to us, we're a bit more frightened and a bit more aware of it, you know so yeah. it has changed Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah <laughs> Yeah uh, well, We won't keep you much longer um, oh, we've been ages, okay uh, We'll ask you the final question, basically we ask every, every band member that we interview um, which other band from that era would you have liked to have been in if you hadn't been in Dodgy uh,
3: Can you hear that drilling?
2: It's not too bad. It's not too bad. It's not too bad. Okay.
3: For you, Um, I would have liked to have been in the Beastie
0: Boys. (laughs) Great answer.
3: Yeah. Uh, Why? Yeah. yeah. Um, Well, I love the fact that they're one of the few bands. I mean, they started off as punks. So I was started off as a punk. True. Um, Mm -hmm. um, They're the same age as me. Um, They obviously they grew up in New York. You know, during that punk scene, they you know they supported Bad Brains and people like that, and oh, and I was I was really in I was really into Bad yeah. Brains and the uh, Kennedys too, yeah. and Black Flag and Circle Jerks. I loved American Nine alternative Threat. music yeah, yeah. at the time. Yeah. Let them eat jelly beans was my first uh, American sort of album. I love that by alternative tens album. Yeah. I was really into that, and so but then obviously I was I didn't really I missed the Beastie Boys first album. I didn't. Mm. I mean, you got a fight, you know that. But yeah, I didn't really like it, that yeah. But when Paul's boutique came out, oh, and I yeah. listened to that, that was my that. And check your head. That was where the combination of being they were they were they could play bands, but then they they were rapping and yeah, mm. I just loved it. I and think sampling and
0: yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. Was... And I'm into that big time, and I loved it. And yeah, so without a doubt, the Beastie Boys—they were the coolest band. They were, and they still are to me. They're still the coolest band.
0: Did you ever get to meet them?
3: No, I didn't. Unfortunately, I'd love to. I don't think I ever met them. I mean, you know, I, yeah. I mean, I read the book and I've watched the film, yeah, yeah, yeah. and like I know so much about them. But no, I didn't. I didn't even go and see them, which is like terrible. I've got a Beastie
0: Boy story. story. I I stood at the next urinal to um to a Beastie Boy.
3: <laughs> which one?
0: Um, it was uh, what's his name? Ad Rock.
3: Ad Rock. Ad Rock. Okay. okay. Well, I was,
0: I was... <laughs> I oh, was at a, uh, he's like, he's married to Kathleen Hanna, right? So I was at a La right, gig yeah. in Tokyo. And uh, I just, look, well, you shouldn't break in the golden rule of, of the gents, right? But I looked to I looked to the side and, and there was Ad Rock. But, and he went, yeah. so what
3: you, what you, what you want?
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would have loved it if he had. But yeah, 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 yeah. That's as close as no, I thought, which is pretty close.
3: <laughs> that's brilliant. Yeah, definitely. I mean, without doubt, I mean, they... They sort of, uh, yeah, I, I just love their whole thing. Coming from that background, though, and they have, when I read the book, they have so many musical, um, it just feels that like my trajectory was very similar, like punk rock, and then I got into Soul and Sly and the Family Stone and Funkadelic, and, and it seemed like, you know, in some ways, yeah, I, I, I could have easily fitted in really. I could have taken Adam Yauk's place, you know. But <laughs> I love Adam Yauk. I think he's one of my favorite bass players as well. And just I love his voice as well. He was one yeah. of my favorite rappers and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I was really into the rap scene actually in the New York scene. I liked Big L as well and stuff like that. Big L was one of my favorites. Mm. And yeah, I just I kind of still like all that really. Yeah. It's all Brilliant. old school now, isn't it? I think that's it, really. That's lovely yeah. It's lovely to speak to you guys.
0: Thank you so much. Um, Really
1: appreciate it. Right. So that was Nigel Clark from Dodgy. Um, I obviously wasn't in the interview, but enjoyed that one. Good work, fellas. Uh, I thought it was really interesting. I think, Luke, you touched on this before the interview that we were going to talk about this. I thought it was really interesting that he said that... um, it's only in retrospect when he listens back to Three Piece Suite that he really understands the album as a whole. Because I guess it happens for most bands when you're going through the whole recording and writing process of an album. You just get caught up in the, in the moment. You don't get a chance to sit and listen back to it and um, really appreciate it as a, a piece of art, I guess.
2: Well, I'm going to be really dumb here, as usual, I did not understand what he was talking about. It was nice to get him to run down three piece suite, but what was the concept? So
1: he, he did all that, and you don't even, you haven't even bothered to understand. But I have what he was bothered to about.
2: listen and I've tried, but I don't understand what, what the concept running through those songs was.
0: Neil, do you want to explain it? Well, I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> he was basically citing a whole range of, of George Orwell books both fiction and non-fiction right so he was talking um you know he's like he mentioned like um down and out in london and paris which is like um it's a non-fiction memoir where he basically went undercover as a homeless person for for a while and wrote about it george orwell um he was talking about you know animal farm and uh have you read animal farm
2: kids are reading it now
0: oh really That's interesting. At school, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's uh, the allegory for, you know, socialist revolution. And he was talking about 1984 as well. And he just had all these kind of concepts that he had been reading about in a lot of Orwell's work. And so he talked about some other stuff, which I I didn't know and I haven't read, and how they informed kind of the narrative of that record, basically. So um, it was interesting.
3: Yeah.
1: He's really articulate when he speaks about socialism and uh, like the subject matter behind songs in that album. I think that comes across.
0: I thought that was a really interesting aspect of, of what he talked about in the interview, the kind of, um, you know, uh, socialist causes and the kind of the things that they attach themselves to. I think that's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. I think that's what Dave was alluding to with the levelers. I think it's a similar kind of band ethos, um, you know there was real substance to their music um they were trying to convey a message try and make a difference i
3: guess
0: yeah and it sounds like they were you know they they were walking the walk as well as doing the doing the talk um they got arrested uh in Hyde Park kind of on purpose they did like a, an illegal gig um uh, in a, in protest at the criminal justice bill and they kind of made sure they got arrested um yeah which was it's pretty cool. Um, I saw another story. Um, they they got uh, invited. Uh, did you know this? They got invited to play in Nebworth no. by Oasis, but they turned it down because they went to Bosnia to to play uh, like a benefit gig in Bosnia. That's yeah. interesting because
1: he talks about Oasis in the interview, and he's you know I don't think he he dislikes or likes them I think he's pretty indifferent but he he kind of implied that Oasis they didn't really have anything to say particularly which are kind of they they wrote they wrote love songs right they write teenage love songs they wrote about cigarettes and alcohol they didn't really write about you know social issues as such no I think that's probably no. true
0: but it's interesting. Dave I mean, Dave made the point in the interview that, you know, they're, you know, one of the most authentically working class groups that we've got. Yeah. But they yeah. don't talk about that kind of thing. But not you know, not that they have to, you know, everyone every man has no, 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 their, their own thing. But it's a
1: really good it's a really good observation and point, I think. Um, they weren't really making political or social statements of were they? They were just saying, like, fuck it, just have
0: fun and I guess ooh. that's a political statement in itself, isn't it? But, I guess um, so.
1: Yeah, I think um Bands like Dodgy were uh, socially aware in their songs, maybe I don't know,
0: and in their actions as well. I think you know, recently they played like a refugee kind of benefit, kind of gig and things like that. So they're still yeah. committed to to various causes. But I think yeah. it's, it's it's really cool. It's really cool. Something I hadn't really realised about them until I was kind of researching them and, and we spoke to Nigel. I hadn't really
1: kind of got it. that there was that sort of vibe. You know, they're hounds like hippies at the end of the day, aren't they? So I guess.
0: I guess. Uh, I saw another interview where he, he kind of um, he mentioned like um, Bob Marley and Bob Dylan and Joe Strummer as kind of his kind of political musical influences. one
2: one thing I wanted to say about the politics is you can't really get much of a political message out with your music, really, can you? I mean, some Bob Marley did; he managed to. But if you listen to Dodgy, and I mostly listen to music, don't really listen to the words. You know, where's the message?
0: I think I think you're right um in certain times but then there's like explicit ones like that track UK RIP which is pretty explicit you know the country's not united the kingdom's passed away um that kind of mm. stuff so I don't know there was some explicit stuff in there and there was there if you were listening closely which a lot of people were you know?
1: I think and it, it, I understand what they're saying I think it, it seems sometimes it just seems a bit futile to try and change anything with music but I think you shouldn't underestimate the power of music.
0: Yeah, and even even something like staying out for the summer, right? It's kind of like, you know, we've got to get out of this place or, you know, something like that. You know, it's like a town. It's like a tale of, you know, working class life and escaping from it. You know, it's, it's, it's all politics, yeah. you know.
1: And I think also you don't write a song. You hope that it might change things, but you just write a song because it's something that's important to you, so... Regardless of whether it changes anything or not, you have still got to do it, right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yes.
0: <Yeah. laughs>
2: I was waiting for Dave to answer. He's the one that. Did <laughs> I, had to, I had to be on fucking mute. I thought
1: it was um, interesting what he's saying about being on a major label and, and kind of being a bit ostracised for it because but they went on an indie label so. You had to kind of be on an indie label to be, have any sort of credibility. It sounded like is what he was—he was kind of alluding to.
0: Yeah, it was, It's what it's what Kurt beat himself up over, right?
1: He—he he was the other way. He didn't see that as a. It wasn't a stumbling block sort of thing. It's it helped no. them, you know. <laughs> they were on a yeah. major label. It got their music out there. So.
2: I mean, to us, to us as as fans, it doesn't matter really. What label they're on? Does it? It must be more in the circle of being in a band. It matters to him. It matters As a music nerd, no, it, no, matter to it totally
0: it? matters to me. I was really excited to see their their most their their most recent album came out on Cherry Red Records, which is like a, like a classic uh, independent label that released like loads of cool like punk and post punk stuff back in the day. And I've, I saw their their most recent album was on that. I was like, ah, oh, cool man. That's yeah, but cool. you
1: wouldn't you wouldn't not listen to it if it was on Sony or.
0: No, I guess not. But nowadays, I probably wouldn't even come across it if it was on that because I don't really. Right. Listen okay. To so you're looking yeah.
1: in those places. Mm. I guess that's mm. true. Yeah. I mean, I don't search my music by label. I know you do, and that's I quite do. commendable. Yeah. But yeah, but um, I, I don't tend to look at music like that. But I guess some people do. So it would make a difference yeah. in that respect. I, mean, I definitely didn't
0: back then. I do now, but I didn't back then. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's quite interesting. though. Then they had bands that are on indie labels that were quite happy to join them on their tours, sort of thing, and, and right, sort of pick back yeah, yeah, yeah. off their off their mainstream success. Like Oasis, yeah. I think they said supported them at one point.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, and you know, Creation Records is an independent label, but I guess they're a a, a major indie, aren't they? I th- I I really. Like the fact that he's still into new music and he was talking about, you know, like electronica and sampling and um, mm. stuff like that. That makes me happy. Um, but people are still, you know, into stuff. And I thought that was great. Um, I was really surprised that he, he chose the Beastie Boys as the band he'd want, he'd want to be in.
1: Yeah, that was good though, right?
0: Yeah. We love the Beastie great. Boys,
1: don't we? So we, we love do. the Beastie Boys? Yeah, I can't see him in the Beastie Boys, but. <laughs> We should have said this at the start, really. But again, another really lovely guy. I don't know if we're just getting lucky with our interviews.
2: Maybe the nice ones say yes. (laughs) Maybe,
1: maybe, maybe people from the nineties are just nicer.
2: Well, well, I mean, as you get older, you're less of a dick,
0: aren't you? Probably that. Well, probably that. (laughs) Present company included. In some ways. But I like, for example, like right at the very start, I don't know if you're going to cut it out or not when you edit, but he, he, he did like a joke. He pretended that um, that he'd turned off something on on his Zoom. And I think that was like to put us at ease, just like a little yeah, joke yeah, yeah. to kind of put us at ease. And I thought that was a really nice thing to do. It's really funny.
1: No, no, I, th- I think he he came across as just a really genuine, genuinely nice guy again. I just thought I'd put that in there because we didn't say it at the start. When we are talking about staying out for the summer, I liked how he... He said that he's become kind of the, like the noddy holder of summer.
3: That yeah. song every year. It's a
1: great line, yeah. <laughs> it is, yeah. But it's true, though, isn't it? That song does come back every year. You know, when everyone else is going and getting their Christmas number ones out, they, they went down a, a different route.
2: And they've got the whole market. Summer song.
1: Yeah. There's <laughs> not many summer songs, is there?
0: Oh, okay, what else we got? Boys of Summer, that's your favourite, Neil. I know you like a bit of Don Henley.
1: I do like that. That song is one of my favourite songs of all time, and I I stand by it.
0: No, Um, it's a great song. There's loads, actually. Yeah, there are. Here comes (laughs) the summer, yeah. There are loads. Yeah,
1: Yeah. Uh, Summer of 65. Summer Loving, yeah. Yeah.
0: Summer. (laughs) It's probably more... (laughs) There's
1: loads. Yeah, but what's (laughs) the best? What's the best one? Staying out for the summer. What's
2: one? What's the best one that doesn't have the word summer in the title?
0: Best summer song.
2: Yeah, without the word summer in the title.
0: I was going to say, well, I was gonna, Arab Strap, Girls of Summer, but it has summer in the title. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, I've, I've mentioned it earlier. I'll say All Right by Supergrass. It's yeah, just uh, yeah, perfect, like young people mm. out in the summer, right? Yeah. See one. our friends, see the sights, feel alright. That's just a perfect summer song.
1: Mm. Is there no? Don't set no. They don't mention summer at all in that, do
0: they? No. But it's no. so totally a summer song, right?
1: Oh yeah, a hundred
0: percent. It's the stay another day of summer anthems. Ocean Drive.
2: Oh Ocean that, Drive. that's a great Ocean example, Drive is it. a summer song. It's <laughs> a, a summer song without the word summer in it. It, it was is. there all along. Waiting for <laughs> So to be the pointed Blue out. Sea.
0: Yeah, Ocean Drive. That's a good one. <laughs> Fucking hell it is a good one, isn't I'll it? I'll go with that. <laughs> I'll go with it.
2: I remember when I first heard that song; it was just a brilliant summer's day. Set the scene for us. Well, I was at university. I think it was late May. Really hot day in late May. We we're driving my friend's car. I put the radio on, and this song. Cruising came out. around. First time Cruising I ever around. heard it. And it's just, oh, top, it was just top down. Such a warm top feeling down on the
0: car. Did you have well, to? You load did, load have top, did you have to pull you over to the down. side of the road just to just to listen
2: to it? Well, I wasn't driving, so I could just Right. So you
1: had your your
0: arm rested on
1: the arm rested on the window. Yeah. Just sort of, you know.
0: There was the breeze blowing your hair back. It was. Yeah. Hazy days.
1: That's quite that's quite, a scene. That's Good quite a scene. Was that in Cardiff, was it? Yeah. Yeah, I only went to Cardiff once. Didn't have a great experience, did I?
2: <laughs> no, <laughs> I do you want to elaborate that. on that or do no, you want no, to share? <laughs> <No. laughs> Don't want to share that Maybe another time. Episode 20.
1: I also thought it was cool that they, when they were in London, before they got signed and stuff, they set up that club night just so they Mm. could play, basically.
2: The Dodgy Club.
1: Yeah, just called it their band name, which is brilliant. But it was just a way that they could play and have loads of people there, loads of students and stuff. It was a great idea.
0: Well, like you said, that's kind of like the 60s way to do it, like have a residency, right, or have like a regular Mm. slot, so... It's kind of the opposite of what we were talking about, like with like um the senseless things, like touring the country, and like yeah, every yeah. time they go yeah, back, they the brought, crowd's bigger. They brought the crowd to it. them, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting way of that. doing it.
1: I think a lot of bands when they start out, they start out because they haven't really got into work and stuff yet, and it's you know being in a band is what people want to do. But he already had he had a job and a house, and he said, "Well, fuck that! I don't want to do that yet. I'm going to go and." try this band thing for a bit which like you said takes a lot of balls to do that right it came across that he's not really a fan of spotify and what that's done to the music industry i don't know what your views are on it but i'm kind of torn on it
2: i I think spotify is brilliant for consumers and it's obviously not good for people on the other side
1: yeah but were, were people stopping buying physical copies of things anyway not sure if it's killed people buying music is what i'm saying
0: but that's not the point. The point is that it's exploiting the exploiting the the, the musicians, right? They, they, there's no reason not to pay them fairly for for their music. I agree. I think
1: I think the payment structure should probably change. But I think it's good that it gives gives bands that wouldn't usually get listened to a chance to get listened to, like young, up and coming bands, sort of thing. You can put your music on Spotify, like like Oasis can put their music on Spotify.
0: You know. Yeah, but there's other platforms you can do that on that are not gonna fuck you over.
1: Like I said, I'm not I'm not hundred percent behind the, the business model, but
0: also another thing that it's not only the business model that's a problem, it's one thing that um next week's guest, Stu Whiffin, always talks about on, on his podcast, uh, Off the Beat and Track. He always talks about like how like um nowadays you have to, you know, if a song hasn't caught the attention within 10 seconds then you know they're on to the next one so like bands are changing the way they write songs so they've got like these instant introductions and then straight into the song and it's kind of changing the way music is being made because of the way it's being consumed by things like spotify and playlists
1: people aren't really making albums anymore they're just making
0: songs well, I think that's, that's bullshit. People are making albums, but I think they're changing the <laughs> way they're doing stuff. just put
1: shit on all my stuff this week?
0: <laughs> well, no, I, but people, no, it's not you. That's, it's, not, it's not just you. A lot of people say that, but it's not true. Everyone puts out albums. Every week you go to the whatever website and they're, they're going to re- album reviews. People put out albums. The biggest pop stars put out albums. Nobody doesn't put out albums. Where did that myth come from? It's not, it's not your fault. You've just been brought into the myth. It's complete nonsense. People make albums, and like, people listen to them. Um, but I think it's, it is changing the way people make songs.
2: To be fair, all all these things have changed the way people make music. Right? Albums they the bands knew they were going to be two sides, and they they oh. kind of crafted the album along yeah. those lines. Side A, yeah, side yeah, B. Yeah. But it mm. does. You're right. It does seem wrong if a band is not doing a the intro to a song they'd really want to just because of mm. this. That doesn't seem yeah. right.
1: I don't know. Maybe something we should look into a bit more at some point. We can talk about.
0: Yeah, maybe we can do. We can do a wang on um, technology and. Uh...
1: Yeah, so he he didn't seem a massive fan of Spotify anyway. So, Dave' favorite dodgy song.
2: So I like in a room. I really like that one. If you're Hang thinking on, of you, me, just
1: one song. No, Can no, just do loads of different songs. Give me a
2: songs? minute. Give me a minute. I oh, want to tell you how I arrived at it. I think Neil's will be if you're thinking of me, but that's a really good song. It's a prediction, but I think mine is uh, Grassman or Grassman, mm. as you probably should say it.
0: Mm. How's that, hippie? Um, you got a got a reason?
2: As I, said, I don't, you know, I hadn't really listened to the the lyrics. Um, I did have a look at the lyrics of it now, but it's just the, the sound of that song and the, the melody of it.
0: Yeah, it's a nice album closer. It's great. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Neil, was Dave right? Did you, is uh, if you're thinking of me, your favourite dodgy track? It's not.
1: Staying out for the sun, It's
0: a timeless classic. Um, I'm torn between kind of melodies haunt you, which I really, really like. I just like the kind of the classic songwriting of it. And I really like Homegrown as well. Um... I bet you do. <sighs> <Okay. laughs> <laughs> uh, um, also, I like UKRIP as well Oh, I don't know Today, I'm going to go for Homegrown
1: That's it for the dodgy, dodgy episode Thanks for Nigel Clark for coming on I um, enjoyed that one If you are watching on YouTube Then please do remember to give it a like Leave us a comment below Let us know your favourite dodgy song or memories uh And subscribe to the channel if you're listening, then rate, review, do all that stuff. Tell all your friends, subscribe, tell all your friends uh, that's the way that this podcast will grow is if um if you tell your mates
0: uh don't forget to listen to the mixtape as always um, yeah I uh, put together. Uh, a playlist on Spotify. Um, yeah, it's just the stuff that we talk about, stuff that was talked about in the interview. I'll put our favourite dodgy songs. I'll put my favourite dodgy songs in there. And, uh, yeah, don't forget to give that a listen. Uh, next week,
1: we've got Stu Wiffin from The Pink Toothbrush. Really, really good interview, that one. He's a lovely guy and he's got a lot of music knowledge. So you should definitely tune in for that one. We really enjoyed it. We think you will too. Dave. Finish
2: this one off. See you in a minute. Can't believe I'm doing that like a fucking performing monk.
0: You're really good at it though, Dave. You're really good.